0: chapter 12, and we're studying in particular this evening, verses 1 to 8, as we think of this theme of serving. Well, a couple of weeks' time, God willing, I plan to return to a sermon series that I began when I first came to Dremor, and that is our series in Revelation. And when I began that series in Revelation, I said that there are really two opposite mistakes that Christians tend to make with the book of Revelation. Either Christians completely obsess over that book or Christians completely ignore the book of Revelation. And we're dealing with a subject this evening which, with which, again, I think those two opposing mistakes could be made. When it comes to the whole matter of spiritual gifts, you'll find some Christians who perhaps obsess over them, talk about them all the time, take them very, very seriously, uh, maybe to a fault at times, and other Christians who almost completely ignore the issue of spiritual gifts. The Pentecostal movement, which began roughly 100 years ago in earnest, has always been very concerned with spiritual gifts, and in particular what you might call the more remarkable or miraculous gifts, like the sudden ability to speak in other languages, Some Pentecostals even go so far as to claim that unless you have exercised the gift of speaking in languages or tongues, as they would call them, you don't actually have the Holy Spirit in your life at all. And of course, that's not true. And we thought quite a bit this morning, in fact, about the importance of the Holy Spirit and how the Lord Jesus does give the Holy Spirit to all of his true people. But of course, a great deal of harm has been done by those kinds of claims, to say nothing of the entirely false gospel uh, that is preached in some, not all, but some Pentecostal circles. But perhaps because of false teaching on spiritual gifts and the obsession that some professing Christians have with the miraculous gifts, many more Christians tend not to think about spiritual gifts at all. Uh, perhaps some Christians mistakenly think that spiritual gifts and maybe it's that word spiritual and a misunderstanding of what that word means but they maybe think it only refers to miraculous gifts speaking in languages prophecy healing and so on and since we don't believe that we're to expect those gifts in general use in the church today some christians maybe think well what more is there to say about spiritual gifts but that would be a mistake as well Not fully understanding spiritual gifts can lead to people neglecting those gifts that God has given them to serve him and one another in the church. It can also lead to what you might call a consumer mentality amongst Christians in the local church. If it hasn't been made clear that every member has a gift that must be used, then church can become more like all about what I get out of it. I come to church to listen to a sermon, or I bring my children so that they're taught good morals, or I come to sing my favourite songs. and Church becomes all about me having my preferences satisfied. And so both an obsession with spiritual gifts and a neglect of spiritual gifts will result in unhealthy Christians and unhealthy local churches. And in an effort to avoid that, we want to take some time to consider this evening what the Bible really says on this subject. Rather than obsess over the gifts or neglect them, the goal is this evening that we would be equipped to serve one another by using our gifts, that we would be equipped to serve one another and Christ by using our gifts. Tony Moretta says, followers of Christ are not spectators in the church but servants in the church. As a Christian, he says, you shouldn't think of your church as only the place where I listen to sermons, but as the place where I serve. That's the challenge I want to put before you this evening. Is the church a place where you spectate or a place where you serve? To answer that, let's consider the teaching of Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. And as we do so, I want to ask three questions and answer those questions uh, using the passage. First of all, uh, and maybe the answer to this question is fairly obvious. But the first question to consider this evening, who has spiritual gifts? Who has spiritual gifts? And the answer, quite simply, friends, is everybody. Everybody, every true Christian, every man or woman, boy or girl who truly loves the Lord Jesus Christ has spiritual gifts, is equipped to serve the Lord Jesus with the power that he provides. Paul is speaking in this passage to all the Christians in Rome. He's not just speaking to the elders or the deacons. He's not speaking to just a a core group of super committed members, the most mature, the most gifted he is speaking to all members of the church. He's speaking to all of them friends. When he says in Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship. We'll come back to that verse later. To think about it a little bit more. But essentially what Paul is saying there friends. Is that as a result Of all that God has done for us. The the mercies of God as he says there in verse 1. The work of Jesus Christ for us. In response to that we are to completely surrender ourselves. In worship and service of God. And he emphasizes that point by using the word bodies. He says we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That would have shocked many of his first readers. Greek philosophy, which heavily influenced the average Jew, Roman at the time, Greek philosophy said that your body really doesn't matter that much when it comes to spiritual things. In fact, many Greeks would have said that your body was more of a hindrance than uh, something useful. The Greeks believed that it was the intellectual and the spiritual that mattered and not the physical. The Bible doesn't teach that, of course. Human beings are created... In the image of God. And in some way friends that includes the fact that we are created physically. That we physically image the invisible God in some way. And we use our bodies to express what we believe. We use our physical bodies to express our spiritual beliefs and our spiritual life. We use our mouths to sing to God. And to speak about God. We use our hands to serve God, we use our eyes to to see the needs of others that God wants us to meet. We use our feet to go to the people and places where God wants us to serve. And more negatively as well, Christians, we, we are to avoid and refuse to use our mouths and our eyes and our hands and our feet in sinful ways. We're not to be speaking wicked words or to do to be doing wicked deeds. And so, friends, Paul is saying that in response to God's mercy in Christ, our whole lives are to be surrendered in service to God. And the language that he uses there is of continually offering ourselves up, continually giving ourselves to the worship of God and the service of God. And Paul then goes on to say that for every Christian, part of that surrendered service to God involves using the gifts that God has given us. Look at verse 4. Notice how Paul includes everyone here. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, again all of us, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Again, he doesn't just say, you elders or you deacons, make sure and use your gifts. He doesn't say, you young people with more energy or a little more free time, you make sure and use your gifts. He doesn't say, you older people with more experience who have retired from a busy career, you make sure and use your gifts. He says, let us use our gifts, all of us, young or old, working, studying or retired church leaders and church members, men and women. So friends, let's not make the mistake, and I do think this is the more likely mistake in our context, let's not make the mistake of neglecting our spiritual gifts. You have at least one, and Paul says, use them, use them. In fact, he says we're to think very carefully about what our gifts are and how we're to use them. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Think with sober judgment. That means think carefully. Take time over this. Pray about this. But then do it. Commenting on that particular verse, Tim Keller says, we need to acknowledge what we are good at and what we can do. Uh, in our Northern Irish context, we're, we're not always keen to do that. We, we seem to think sometimes if, if we say what we believe we're good at, that we're somehow being instantly proud or boastful. That's not necessarily the case. We need to be honest, both about what we can do as well as what we can't do. Keller says, uh, Because doing this makes us able to serve others. We are to think straight about ourselves, he says, neither too low nor too high. Neither too low nor too high. Some of you younger adults might be tempted to think I'm too busy or I don't have the experience to serve in whatever particular way it is but if, you've, if you're if you asked to serve you need to think with sober judgment about whether you should do it or not. And some of you older members might be tempted to think well I'm not able to do as much as I used to do or There are plenty of young ones who can do whatever needs done. Or I don't feel like I have much to offer anymore. But if a need arises and you're asked to meet it. You need to think with sober judgment. Having gifts, friends. Having gifts. Let us, all of us, use them. So who has spiritual gifts? Everyone, every true believer has gifts. But secondly, what kind of spiritual gifts are there? What is a spiritual gift? What, what does it look like? How do I know if I have one or not? Or sorry, I should say, how do I know what my gifts are? Well, Paul lists seven, seven gifts in verses six to eight. Uh, you can find two other lists of gifts from Paul. Uh, one of them in 1 Corinthians 12, seven to 10. Another shorter one in Ephesians four eleven. But we're just going to focus tonight on the verses here in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And Merida suggests that we divide these seven gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Some gifts are speaking gifts, some gifts are serving gifts. And I would just want to emphasize that if you have a speaking gift, it does not necessarily mean that you never should do any serving. And if you have serving gifts, it does not necessarily mean that you never do any speaking. So if you see a particular gift here and you think that's the gift that I have, it doesn't mean that there aren't times where perhaps you'll have to serve in those other ways. But just to help us think about them a little bit more distinctly, we're going to think about speaking gifts and serving gifts. The first two gifts that Paul mentions are speaking gifts. He mentions prophecy and teaching. Uh, verses, uh, verse 6 and 7. Prophecy and teaching. Uh, Prophecy, of course, is the gift of suddenly speaking a direct message from God. Uh, Suddenly speaking a direct message from God. And that's what men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Moses and many others did in the Old Testament era. Uh, Prophets also existed in the New Testament. The book of Acts gives several examples of people who prophesied. People suddenly declaring a direct message from God. Uh, Douglas Moo, a Romans commentator, he says this about the gift of prophecy. He says, whilst New Testament prophecy included predictions of the future, more broadly it involved proclaiming to the community information that God revealed to the prophet For the church's edification. So, we maybe quite often think about prophecy in terms of someone predicting the future, and that is what they did. But they also often, and perhaps even more frequently than that, they had a message for the church then and there. They had something that the church was to to be made aware of in that exact moment. So, prophets, friends, in the early days of the church, and of course, this was in the days before the scriptures were completed. And canonized and closed as they are now, prophets directly spoke God's word to God's people. And then Paul mentions as well the gift of teaching. And of course, he's talking particularly here about teaching God's word. Uh, Prophecy is declaring God's word, teaching then is explaining God's word. And both of these tasks are fulfilled today. Both prophecy and teaching are fulfilled at least in part by preachers and by uh, the other church elders from time to time as well. Uh, Preaching today is not the same as prophecy. There are differences uh, because preachers preach from the completed word of God. But when a preacher opens up the Bible and says, this is the word of the Lord, we are in a sense doing what the prophets did. We don't have a new word from the Lord But we do have uh, the written message from the Lord and we then teach that message to God's people. And other people do this in the church as well. Sabbath school teachers, youth leaders, elders or those who lead a Bible class, camp officers and so on. Those are all ways in which God's word is taught. Parents teach God's word to their children in family worship. And then the last speaking gift that Paul mentions, he says, is the one who exhorts, verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. And again, this this would include some aspects of preaching. Uh, Preaching oftentimes should include encouragement or exhortation, but it is not limited to to preaching. Uh, The word Paul uses here for exhort could also mean encourage. It has the sense of coming alongside someone, uh, metaphorically speaking, putting an arm around them, or sometimes quite literally putting an arm around them, comforting them, encouraging them. Uh, And so friends, that's something again that many of us can be doing, whether we're preachers or not. We see someone struggling. And as we considered last week, we, we see someone bearing a burden and we come alongside them. We take time to go and visit them, we, we listen to them, and we exhort them, we encourage them with a timely word, uh, prayer, an offer of help. Uh, and so those are all speaking gifts: prophecy, teaching and exhorting. But then there are also what you might call serving gifts, or we might call them more practical gifts. And the word Paul uses for these gifts are very general words, friends. (coughs) Really, all kinds of things could qualify under these serving gifts. Uh, The first one that Paul mentions in verse 7 is translated service in the ESV. Uh, It's it's the same root word or it's related to the word from which we get the word deacon. Uh, And when you look at how this particular word is used in the New Testament, You find that it refers to a specific office in the church, that's the office of deacon, as well as more general ministry, you might say, in the church. So a specific office and general ministry. In other words, what I'm saying is you don't have to be an ordained deacon to carry out some of what this word refers to, although it would include the work that ordained deacons do. But this would include, for example, regularly visiting the sick. It includes the service of a young mother uh, in the church by caring for and raising her children, who will one day play a more full part in the church. This service might include cleaning and maintaining the buildings and grounds of a church, it might include raising awareness and funds for a needy overseas ministry, it might include buying some groceries or making some meals for someone who is going through a particularly stressful or, or busy time. Many, many things, friends. It's a very general word. Uh, I want you to uh, think creatively about how else that might be applied. Service. Very general uh, word. And then look at the last three gifts that Paul mentions in verse 8. First of all, he says, the one who contributes in generosity. Uh, This is the act of privately, quietly giving, sacrificially from your own pocket uh, to a ministry or need in the local or global church church. Contributing generously, and then he also says in verse eight, "The one who leads with zeal, the one who leads with zeal." The word here for "leads" is also used of elders who are husbands and fathers in First Timothy chapter three. Uh, men, we are we are leaders. If God calls us to be husbands, fathers, elders, deacons in the church, we are leaders. And we are to do that zealously, Paul says, enthusiastically, eagerly, despite the incredible challenges and demands that sometimes come with leadership. And lastly then, he says, the one, uh, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And again, many, many different things could come under acts of mercy. It, it overlaps again with some, of, some aspects of diaconal work. But there are jobs here that any church member could be called and gifted to do. And Paul says that if you are gifted to help that needy person. To give of your time and effort in the local church. He says do it cheerfully. Don't be complaining about it. If you're going to do it, do it with the right attitude. It's not to be a case of Ugh, another night away from the fireside. Ah, people don't know what I'm putting into this. Don't get much thanks for this. Friends, if that's our attitude, we're not to be doing it at all. Paul says, be cheerful as you serve. And I hope as you think through this list, friends, you see how spiritual gifts go far beyond the, the obvious or the dramatic or the public. The words Paul uses here show just how wide-ranging, ordinary, you might say at times even unremarkable our gifts might be. And yet they are gifts and they are to be used. One pastor preaching in this passage told of how in his first congregation there was a very feeble old lady who after a while could only get to to attend one morning service a week. Uh, when she was strong enough, she was poor, she was living in a rundown little house. But as the minister visited this lady, she told them how every single day she sought to pray for every single member of the church. And friends, that was her spiritual gift, at that stage of her life at least. She didn't have money, she didn't have physical energy. She didn't have opportunities to teach, but she had time and she used that time to pray. We probably need to think about spiritual gifts far more widely than we have done, if we've been thinking about them at all. Some of you are very generous. You have a particular heart for giving what you have, whether you're wealthy or not for other people. You might not realize that that's a gift. That's something God has called you and empowered you to be and to do. Of course, it's a Christian duty that we all give our tithes and offerings to the work of God's kingdom. But some Christians cheerfully, gladly give far beyond that. That is a gift to use to the glory of God. Seeing what often get dismissed as little jobs... That need done for church life to go on. Chairs to put out. Rooms to clean. Doors to lock. Seeing and doing those things is a gift. Not everybody naturally and quickly sees those needs and meets those needs. But maybe you do. Young mums, as I mentioned earlier. Some of you perhaps tuning in in the live stream even tonight. Because you're looking after little ones. Perhaps at the stage of life you're at, you're at home with the kids a lot of the time. Don't believe the tripe and nonsense of the world about uh, the way they dismiss the importance and the preciousness and the, and the goodness and, the, and, and how worthwhile and important it is to raise children. You are serving in a crucially important way. Tomorrow's missionaries and youth leaders, elders and preachers are in your living room and your kitchen and your nursery. And God has gifted you to train them up in the ways of the Lord. So friends, here are some gifts. We just don't have time to go into all the other myriad ways in which we have available to us to use gifts. But these are just some of the kinds of things that we are called to do in the local church. What is your gift? How does God want you to use your gift? And if you're unsure about your gift. I would encourage you. Think about it. Pray about it. As Paul says here in chapter 12 verse 3. But ask people as well. Ask some of your, your peers here in the church. Ask some of those who are older in the church. Ask, ask me. I, I've only been here a short time. I'm still getting to know you. But ask me if, what you think your gift might be. And, and we'll think about that and talk about that together. Ask some of the elders. Ask the deacons. Ask about things that need done. Suggest things that you think maybe need to be done. Or ministries that need to be a part of our church life. These are all ways to find and use your gifts and to serve in the church. So we've thought about who has spiritual gifts. We've we've thought about some of what are the spiritual gifts. And then thirdly and finally this evening, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of... Of spiritual gifts. Paul compares the church to a body. Verses 4 to 5. He likes to do that. He does that in some of his other letters as well. And it's such a perfect picture. Of the Christian life in the church. Because we, we have parts of our body. That at times we don't even really think about. Or understand. Our bodies are made up of parts. That contribute to a whole. Our hospitals are full of specialists. Who spend their entire careers. Focusing on just one perhaps small part of the body and yet all those different parts make up the whole and it's the same in the local church we're all individual members but we make up one body and just as I mentioned (coughs) just as I mentioned with the fruit of the spirit last week the purpose of spiritual gifts friends is to build up and benefit and encourage one another Look at verse 5, we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Notice the balance there, individuals yes, but members of one another as well. We cannot think of ourselves friends in isolation as Christians. It is not just about me and God or even about my family and God, it is about all of us together, the church and our God. And one of the implications of that is that one of the purposes of having gifts is to serve one another, to play our part for one another in the church and never to serve ourselves, never to be serving ourselves. No preacher should be preaching just to build an audience or a following for himself. That is wicked, proud and ungodly. No one should be giving generously in the church to then later leverage a position in the church. No one should want to get into leadership in a church of any kind so that they can lord it over others and get their way and put their personal stamp on the church. Our gifts have been given for us to to love one another as Paul goes on to say in verse 10 and to serve one another. But there's another even more important purpose in our spiritual gifts. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning. It is of course to offer thankful service to God. For our salvation in Christ Jesus. Our gifts have been given for us to offer thankful service to God. For our salvation in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse 1. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Romans 12, verse 1 is a turning point for the whole book. Notice the word therefore. Uh, The word therefore in our Bibles connects what has come before to what is about to be said. And so, Paul, friends, is saying that after everything I've just been telling you, here's how you should respond. What has Paul been telling them about? What's he been talking about in Romans 1 to 11? He's been explaining the mercies of God, as he says in verse 1. He appeals to them based on what he has just been talking about. He has been explaining in great and glorious detail just exactly how the Lord Jesus Christ provides salvation for sinners. That's what Romans 1 to 11 is all about. Reverend Donnelly sums up the book of Romans this way. He says, Romans 1-3 is about our lack of righteousness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three. Romans 4-8 is about how God has provided righteousness for us. Since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 9-11 is then about how some people refuse that righteousness. Like many of the Jewish people for whom Paul was so concerned. And then the rest of the book, friends, Romans 12 to 16, is about practicing righteousness. And as Paul turns to that subject of practicing, putting into practice our faith, our righteousness, he begins here in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. (coughs) In other words, it is out of gratefulness. Thankfulness, joy, gratitude that you use your gifts for the glory of God in recognition of all that he has done for us. This is your spiritual worship, uh, Paul says at the end of verse 1. And that phrase, spiritual worship, is debated amongst the experts. The word translated spiritual is actually only used twice in the whole New Testament. Uh, But at a basic level, it means the logical, natural response of grateful followers of Jesus is to serve him wholeheartedly with the gifts that he's given. Perhaps at times Christians find ourselves lacking in motivation to use our gifts. If we've even taken time to think about what our gifts are at all, we might be tempted to think, well, what's the point? What impact can I really have? Isn't the church so small? Does anybody really notice if I use my gifts at all? Perhaps that's what holds people back a lot of the time. They they feel they're not being appreciated. No one even notices when I clean the building. No one said, Good job for that Sabbath school lesson or that meal provided. I don't feel very appreciated. Friends, we don't use our gifts to please others, ultimately. To be seen by others, to be praised by others. We use our gifts out of profound gratitude and humble thankfulness and genuine love for the God who has poured out His mercy upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were headed for hell. We were walking away from God and from life and from heaven. We were walking towards punishment. And then God sent his son, who, by the way, spent 33 years on this earth receiving next to no thanks from anyone, hardly ever hearing anyone say, good job, really appreciated what you did there, who died on the cross surrounded by mockers, haters, enemies and insults, who cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of that, friends. So that you and I could be called sons of God. So that we could experience the mercies of God. And if your faith is in him today. If you are thankful to him today. Surely we can find motivation to use the gifts that he has given us. In whatever unspectacular, at times unseen ways it may be. To bless his church. To glorify his name. And if you're not a Christian today, who or what are you living for instead? Who or what do you deem worthwhile to give money to, to sacrifice time for, to endure difficulties for the sake of? Another day is drawing to a close in our country today where millions of people have spent the day giving themselves to other things, other causes, other hopes other gods and they are putting their heads down in the pillows this evening sadly disappointed we live in a culture that increasingly is answering the question of who is who is worth living for we're living in a culture that increasingly is answering that question i live for myself i please myself i do what i like i live for me and yet our culture is an increasingly sad and lonely place Jesus calls upon you today to come to him, confess your sin, receive forgiveness and cleansing as we thought about this morning in him. And having done that, he will equip you to serve him with the gifts that he gives to you. And so out of thankfulness and joy for the mercies of God, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, friends, let us use them. Let us use them. Amen.